Today's TribCast is presented by Legacy Community Health. Learn more about Legacy Community Health's Little Readers program, presented by HEB, which shares the love of reading with our youngest patients and their families. Learn more at LegacyCommunityHealth.org. Texas Talking Ah, What was that that you said? Texas Talking Ah, Gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking Tell me who can you trust when Texas Guys are Texas Guys Hi, this is Jay Fielden, Editor-in-Chief of Esquire which just broke the news this week that it was indeed those dastardly Russians who hacked John Podesta's email. I'm a Texan, born in the oil patch and raised in San Antonio. Living in New York these last 20 years, I get it from both ends. My uncles think I live in the People's Republic of New York. My friends here think I must secretly be a member of the NRA. I take it all as a compliment. Being a Texan, as you know, people just can't resist. So enjoy this week's TribCast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the first week of November. I'm joined by CEO Next Tuesday, Evan Smith. <laughs> Man, did you save that one up? That's a good one. Thank okay. you. Um, so the editor of Esquire went on a little long in the intro, but that's a magazine that does long-form journalism. So, right? You want, me to, you want me to get the editor of Maxim? It'll be over in two seconds. <laughs> also, we're going to get only people now from Texas to do the intros. Oh, is that the new rule? That's if you if you have grown up in Texas, you get to do an intro. So I'd like suggest to, other people. I'd like to introduce the other members of today's. Neither panel. of them grew up in Texas. I'll point out number of native. And te- neither did you. I know yeah. that well. <laughs> All right, uh, editor okay. Amon Bathija. Jesus, Amon, you're so pissy. <laughs> and political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good morning. Number number of people on this podcast who grew up in Texas, zero. Number of people on the staff who got the words the term C word into a headline, one. one. <laughs> Corey also begins with C, I'll point out. Did she not write the headline? Uh, no, no, it was Ian. Actually, it was Ian, okay. yes. It was a big, a heated debate in our newsroom over whether to put, what term to put in headline. Anyway, let's talk about We're not, are we, Sid so Miller. Can, can we have a, a, just a sidebar? Are we going to use the word? No, well, I think gonna... you're asking, are you going to use the word? I'm not going to use that word. Are you kidding me? Last time, Indiana Jones over here wouldn't say the P word, and then all of a sudden, she just jumped right into the fray, right? So it's P just... word's okay, but C word's not okay? The C word is just so gross. Is this a family-friendly podcast? Hell no. All right, fine. Use the term. Evan, I'm what happened? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Patrick? No. <laughs> Patrick. What happened? God, least likeliest person on earth to use the C word. Please tell us what Sid Miller has done now. Sure. So a tweet appeared on Sid Miller's uh, account yesterday afternoon that purported to show a poll a uh, recent poll done in uh, Pennsylvania regarding the presidential race. Right, the Auto and Alliance of Pennsylvania. <laughs> appeared to be right some up kind there with of, Gallup. Yeah, some kind <laughs> right. of trade group. Um, and uh, it's it had Trump's name, and then it had, instead of uh, Clinton's name, it had the C word, as we alluded to earlier. Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, Which C word is it, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. And, uh, no, it did not have Cornyn. Um, and then, you know, Cornyn. there was an instant. Contested? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there was a kind of instantly plunged him into controversy. Um, What was most uh, amusing, entertaining uh, to watch was the kind of uh, haze of confusion that then came out about how exactly that tweet got there, you know, who was responsible for it initially. He and his team seemed to suggest he had been hacked. They didn't seem to suggest. They tweeted, they tweeted no, they said. we have been hacked, in all caps. And they said that— He's being nice. Okay. He's being yeah. fair. They also yeah. said that their tweets for the entire day 
were the result of hacking. Right. But well, yeah, well, so on, the, on some yeah. level, I want to say that would explain <laughs> it, right? Yeah, the initial the initial ex- explanation for it was we were hacked. Um, but shortly that explanation faded away. Even the tweet that he sent out saying that he had been hacked was deleted. And uh, Sid Miller— It was pounds fat guy that Trump was talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, sitting in his basement. Right. And Sid Miller himself ultimately came out. I believe he spoke to a number of reporters, including uh, myself, and said that um, basically it was the, the work of a staffer who uh, had been instructed to retweet or, I guess, share— Pro-Trump Steal messages content. on the Miller account. <laughs> well, but, but, but let's stipulate. First of all, it was not a retweet. And second of all, the copy sure. that was grabbed from the original tweet was modified. So mm-hmm. it wasn't even as if he retweeted yeah. it and eliminated the original source. Clearly, there were human hands on this, and it was tweeted in his name, not in somebody else's. Correct? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the most reasonable explanation based on the facts and what we know and applying some skepticism is that someone saw this uh, this obscene tweet from this other pro-Trump user, and somehow they copied and somewhat, as you pointed out, revised it and put it on Miller's account. It Miller was the, go, it was the go Trump Go hashtag at the bottom of the tweet that was modified from the original. That did yeah. not appear on the original. And Miller says this supposed staffer did not realize that the obscenity was in the obscenity was in the. Um, the, the tweet when he copy and pasted it or think, copy and edited it. I think it. that is highly plausible. What I think is unbelievable is that we're skipping over the fact that they lied about what happened. I mean, they, they didn't, it wasn't just confusion. Like, they blatantly lied and said, we were hacked. And then, like, minutes later, Sid Miller says, well, no, we weren't hacked. Like, it was somebody retweeted it. I mean, the, the fact that that they was the initial, well, right. Well, so what, we, what do you think was, pl- was plausible that they read over the word? Yeah. I think it's plausible. Do you know that it was the second tweet during that day that Sid Miller's campaign or Sid Miller's staffer or Sid Miller himself interacted with and ultimately retweeted or pushed back out to the world that had that word in it? I I do not believe that there was an earlier tweet in the day. A Daily Beast reporter noted this to Patrick and me late yesterday that there was a tweet earlier in the day by the same original tweeter that used that same word. Oh, oh, the original tweeter, yeah. The person whom Sid Miller claims to have mm-hmm. retweeted. Mm-hmm. The original source of that word, that person had tweeted that word earlier in the day, and Sid Miller replied to that tweet. Or someone else. Oh, you know, I was aware of that, yeah, before the, the Daily Beast reporter flagged. I mean, the bottom line here is what that speaks to is that for these past it was 24, the 48 hours, day, Sid Miller or whoever's operating his account has been waiting in some really murky swamp, dark swamps of, of pro-Trump <laughs> he, Twitter. He, he claimed and like so, an hour before that the Clintons were going to yeah. be indicted. I mean, it was filled with, like, conspiracy theories. Right. You know, uh, what I, Aman and I were talking about this this morning. It is just, like, he really, uh, he and his staff have no idea how to effectively use social media. This is like the 50th social media blunder. I mean, it's like my grandparents. <laughs> May they rest in peace. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're thrilled to be brought into this conversation. <laughs> well, also the, the he apparently injected himself 24 hours before with a Jesus shot full of Red Bull because if you the manic Nature, nature of his it was like all into the night but all, like he's Donald like up Trump. all night he's like rocking back and forth like Walter White I mean what's he doing he's well like, and if you look a he lot, was practically tweaking the you know and a lot of his tweets were just taking things from other people and just copying and pasting them and pretending they're his own well right. I, I don't know if well well I, that's I guess what he was pre- doing yeah yes. I mean even Trump acknowledges the people that he is taking the tweet from and 
it just so there's this like lack of sophistication. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I can start there. Just, just an amazing. Let's address period. a question from Evan on a different Evan. Oh no. Which Evan is, is that? Sorry. <laughs> well, Wait, did is, I accidentally write you a, good, a comment there, on things? There's Question a commenter named Evan Evin. Will there be repercussions from this? Uh, and another question from Helen: Will Miller resign? I think the answer uh, is I don't think Miller no. will resign, but there certainly, I think, will be political repercussions, and have been some political repercussions in terms of. Um, well, first, the most immediate reaction was from the governor, um, Greg Abbott. A fellow Republican put out a statement uh, saying this is not how Texas gentlemen or true Texas gentlemen should talk, I believe. He called the language reprehensible. Um, but it was very careful to basically allow him to say he's not necessarily criticizing Miller. As it, well, in who, case it was an accident. Well, who which was other, criticizing? Which other no. ungentlemen? <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. basically a seriously bro. I mean, I think it was. It yeah, felt, it, it felt like it was worded in a way that he could say if you were hacked. Still, that I sure, don't like that yeah. Word. But I think as far as Abbott's statements go, it was as much of it was as direct of a rebuke of oh, a fellow Republican that you were ever going and, to get. I mean, immediate. Yeah. immediate. It immediate. showed up like you know, basically minutes into this, right? I mean, it didn't take Less very long. Yeah. yeah, which for Abbott is pretty. You yeah, know, we asked for comment. Normally, we get a Dan so. Patrick response yeah. long before we get. So <laughs> did, 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 did we? Were we? We were not the first ones to see this, or we were. No, we, yeah, asked, like, we asked for comment, and they provided it. Well, no, I mean, no, no, I mean yeah. the original On tweet. Oh, a bunch Ed, of reporters. Edgar grabbed reporters the screen grab, but apparently a bunch of other people did as well, right? Reporters all saw it sort of immediately, and suddenly Twitter burst out, and, you know, then people were saying, oh, he's been hacked. And, I mean, it's just – again, to me, the fact that there are no uh, – first, you – publish a tweet that says that word in it. Second, there are no repercussions for tr for lying about it. I mean, to me, that's Well, like, look, it's perfect in a campaign season in which lies, facts, shame – you know, conventional wisdom, historical precedents, nothing matters anymore. Mm -hmm. Nothing matters. And so in a campaign in which nothing matters, why shouldn't there be no repercussions for somebody who uses the C word? Right. Which I'll note we still haven't said out loud. Uh, uh, well, we have a statement <laughs> from, from Amanda Zamora on Facebook saying, do not use that word in this podcast, please. <laughs> okay. I thought she was all about developing our audience. Our audience, per <laughs> our audience person is now complaining that we don't want She's like telling you now that we can't use it, really? Right. Question from Felicia. Will Miller draw an opponent next time due to this or any of the other previous social media messages? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, he could draw, he certainly could draw an opponent. I think there were already some, you know, kind of people circling that, that seat for 2018, and uh, this kind of provides them even more uh, fodder to, to build their case against him. So I, I uh, talked to a, a prominent member of the Texas legislature, a Republican, fellow Republican, who said to me today, quote, people are lining up to take this guy on. Now, that remains to be seen. That, yeah, are that's, they moderate that, I, Republicans? I, I would be yeah. eager, I'd be eager to know exactly who that is. No names were provided, and I'll, be, I'll believe it when I see it. There but, is, I, but I will say this. If you're a Democrat and you're trying to get onto the statewide ballot for November of 2018, you have a much better chance of going at one of the weaker Republicans as opposed to running against, say, Abbott or Patrick, which means if you're a Democrat and you have ambitions and you want to somehow put up something on the board, which the Democrats have been unable to do since 1994, you would be better advised to run against, say, Paxton, the attorney general, or Miller. And all this does is create an opportunity for a Democrat, a serious Democrat, not a cardboard cutout, not that goat eater from Cleburne, but somebody who actually is running for a, you know, a sure. person who actually could claim to be a, a credible candidate for ag commissioner. You now go, why not? Because if Miller is not beaten in the primary and you're running against Sid Miller, he's handed you all kinds of opportunity, whether or not a Democrat can win statewide. He's state not going to lose in a general. 
Sid Miller, look, if you're, but no if you're, way. but if you're a Democrat looking to get onto the uh, onto the ballot in November against one of these guys, why wouldn't you pick Miller? Yeah, I agree. That's the place to start. That's the place to go. Yeah, it's a, a very low place to start. I mean, it, I don't start know. somewhere. Rick, you know, the, the way that the Republicans came into power in 1990 was by by winning the state treasurer's office and the ag office. A guy named Rick Perry. Ran Who? for ag commissioner, switched parties, ran for ag commissioner, and beat Jim Hightower. That's how the Republicans got back into contention. I hear he might be running for Senate. Rick Perry? <laughs> or he might be helping somebody else. Right? Um, yeah. But so I actually think that Miller, Miller could get a challenger from the Democrats or the Republicans, and it would be interesting. So Sid Miller has been Donald Trump's, he's sort of Donald Trump's new guy in Texas, right? I mean, you know, I thought that Dan Patrick was supposed to be playing this role, but of late, Sid Miller has been the one who's getting, you know, all the recognition. Yeah, especially over the past, the, the few days leading up to this controversy with the tweet. I mean, he had really emerged as Trump's most visible and vocal supporter in Texas, and uh, had not only gone on Fox News a few times, but was going on conservative radio, was going on pro-Trump online radio, really kind of engaging with the pro-Trump media uh, hemisphere in some ways. And he was getting recognition from Trump for it. Trump shouted him out at at least two rallies, uh, I believe, over the weekend and then on Monday. Uh, you know, and, and really, I think the reason that Trump was finding solidarity with him was, was because Miller was saying exactly the same things Trump has been saying about the polls, that they're essentially cooked, that they're oversampling Democrats, uh, very skeptical of some of these results uh, showing the race is tight in Texas. And so Trump was like, you know, I love this guy. I mean, he's saying exactly the same things I'm saying. And so, uh, you know, again, I'm sure, you know, as the Texas chairman, Dan Patrick, I'm sure is, is working hard behind the scenes. Well, I was but wondering, I mean, I mean is, is he out-trumping out Dan Patrick? Uh, well, in the past few weeks, maybe it's, I'm not sure, maybe it's tied to when that Trump video came out from Access Hollywood, but it feels like Patrick has been pushing a lot more straight Republican ticket vote mm -hmm. from, I think he said, from the White House to the courthouse. He said that line a lot lately. But he hasn't been pushing as much the idea of vote for Trump. Sid Miller is almost exclusively vote for Trump. Mm -hmm. Sid Miller is the Trumpiest statewide elected official yeah. we have. Mm. And right, it makes right. sense. I'm su actually surprised it took right. us this long to really kind of reach this conclusion. That. Yeah. <laughs> what Paula Page is to Maine, Sid Miller is yeah. to Texas, right? right? He, he's, he's our version of this unrestrained, you know, say right. whatever comes to your mind, you know, the minute it, it pops into your head. But I mean, again, come back, though, to the question of consequences. There will be no consequences, really. There are no immediate consequences. Sid Miller is back on Twitter today running the Sid Miller play. He's not doing anything different than he was doing 24 I mean, he was, hours he was ago, cracking right? Anthony Weiner jokes about three hours after all this last night on and, Twitter. So. And in the next Republican primary, assuming Miller gets an opponent, I feel like most of the Republican leadership would have to come out against Miller for the base to turn their back on him. Right. And last night we got Abbott, but that was it. But you know what? Honestly, maybe the base would go if the Republican establishment is for an opponent, where for Miller. Exactly. Right. right. I mean, weirdly, in the same way That's that true. newspaper we endorsements tend feels. to incentivize the opposite behavior right. from mm -hmm. what's recommended, I mean, the base doesn't look— Remember, you know, this is the same base that supports Donald Trump. And by the way, I don't want to take you out of order on your agenda, uh, well, but Svitek just— Well, trying to pivot to Dan Patrick, but you guys— But Svitek just reported this morning that John Cornyn acknowledged publicly that he had voted in some for uncontested some races in Travis County for some Democrats. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of thing that has Joanne uh, Fleming and Julie McCarty lit up like Christmas trees. The Tea Party groups around the state who are already suspicious of John Cornyn's conservative bona fides. He voted for people who were unopposed. It doesn't matter. You voted for a Democrat. He's basically dead to them, I suspect. I, I bet they go. He already was. No, but I, but I think this is actually the kind of thing that gets these conservative groups totally riled up. And so 
for someone like a John Cornyn to come mm -hmm. out against a Sid Miller, mm -hmm. it's not even a, 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 a question of what mm -hmm. they do in that case. Mm -hmm. There would there would Miller. Yeah. Right. Well, you wanted to talk about Dan Patrick. You had him on stage this week uh, talking about school choice, uh, talking about school finance. Well, and also talking about the presidential election to mm -hmm. some degree. I mean, it's mm -hmm. no surprise that Dan Patrick's position a week out from the election is that we need to get Donald Trump in mm -hmm. and Hillary Clinton out uh, uh, of the, you know, that, that that's... But he made a little uh, news on education. I, I thought he made news. You know, this was ostensibly a conversation about the state budget and taxes, but it was free reign to talk mm -hmm. about anything. And in the course of talking about school finance, I noted to the lieutenant governor that a couple days earlier in Midland, he had indicated to the Midland Reporter Telegram that he believed that the school finance fix that the Supreme Court has now said to the legislature they should be considering in the absence of court action. The lieutenant governor said, well, that may be too difficult to accomplish in a regular session. I think we need to have a special session, and the governor should call one, because we the only way for us to really deal with school finance with a true fix is to do it in a special session. When I asked him about that, he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and said, well, I'm not really sure that's exactly what I said to the reporter. But I'll tell you, I do think that in a session that's going to have a lot of very big challenges, where members are going to be distracted by a bunch of different issues and dealing with a bunch of issues, I'm not sure the bandwidth, that's my word, not his, mm -hmm is there for a school finance fix, which is so mammoth and requires so much focus and attention. And honestly, it would be better to do it at a time when that's the only issue for them to deal with. So I said one call, meaning a special session that had only one agenda item. And he said, yes, one call. Now, little did I know that at that very moment, we were reporting at the Tribune that, that the, the Governor Abbott said in response to this call by Patrick in Midland. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to have a special session on school finance. So no, it's, Nobody it's likes so special sessions. Unresolved. And governors but try to avoid them. The other thing Patrick said is kind of a cherry on a Sunday in this conversation was, oh, by the way, no school finance fix without school choice. He basically decided at this, and I gather he said this previously, I had not heard it, that the two issues need to be aligned. What's interesting is that's something he could only say because a court is not forcing the state to fix school finance. Well, that's true. <laughs> the, right. the, the court ends up being a, a conspirator, co-conspirator mm -hmm. in that. But, but he believes that the House has, has, uh, has, has been the reason that school uh, choice reform or education reform, school choice, has not been put uh, into he's law. probably right. Right? Yeah. I mean, um, Senate passes, passes Senate. Yeah. and then it dies in the House yeah. twice. 2013, 2015, didn't even get a vote in the mm -hmm. last session. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His attitude is, my message to the House is, if they don't, uh, accept some kind of school choice legislation, then we're not going to do school finance, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. That sets up a true battle between the House and the Senate over what is the tied with health care, the largest line item in the state budget. Right. I mean, it, it creates a situation of uh, are the education leaders in the House even supposed to bother then? doing anything if they right. know yeah. if they if they hate school right as yeah. our education report just got a much easier session <laughs> and, and abbott as always is caught a kind of caught in the middle of this and he hasn't it's been hard to kind of parse his, his public comments on this but it seems like rhetorically over the past few weeks few months he's kind of more sided with the idea of school finance being a bigger priority in some mm -hmm. ways he's not he's not yeah. saying that we're not going to tackle school choice he's definitely talked about the importance of that yeah. but if, if if you look at this right, you know the accumulation of his public comments over the past few months to me it seems like he views he's kind of more on the Strauss side of things I wonder, let's be clear about where school choice is in the house so two sessions ago it was I think a vote on a procedural vote, I thought, right. or amendment. It was not an actual bill that came to the floor. Everyone in the House knew what it represented. Right. And it, school choice lost by like 
Overwhelmingly. A hundred votes, Mm -hmm. 80 votes. I mean, it was a huge. Well, because it's an issue that, right, unites, you know, rural and urban Democrats. There are rural Democrats, I mean, Mm -hmm. rural Rural Republicans Republicans. who don't have the kind of choice options that would be activated by such legislation who fundamentally oppose it because they just see choice as Mm -hmm. taking money from the schools in their community. Right. Um, You had a chairman of public education, Jimmy Don Acock from Killeen, and a chairman of appropriations, John Otto from Dayton, who both oppose school choice. Right. Powerful Republican chairs of powerful committees. Both are retiring this session, so we'll have new people in those seats next session. We don't yet know who the chair of public education is going to be next session. If I had to bet, I would say that Joe Strauss is not going to appoint a pro-school choice Mm -hmm. chair of public education. We won't know until we know. But right now, the odds-on favorite to be the chair of appropriations is Drew Darby from San Angelo, who is currently the chair of the Energy Resources Committee. He is a rural Republican. Lyle Larson, who is an ally of Strauss's in San Antonio, said to me a couple weeks ago at an event we did that he didn't expect that this was going to end any differently next time than it did the previous two. I think Republicans understand that the votes probably are not there to take on school choice in the way that the Senate wants to take it on. And so, so we're set it up for a fight. If you go through an entire session and basically school finance is not touched, I guess I just wonder how will voters feel? Would, would Abbott feel compelled to or, or call could, a special at that point. Or could he? will he make it an emergency item headed into the session? That still doesn't help if, uh, well, it if Patrick refuses to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. All right, well, uh, if you're tuning in on Facebook, reminder that you can send questions our way. Uh, question from Marshall we were just getting ready to address. Uh, we've already talked about Patrick and Abbott and Miller. Uh, it seems like now we need to talk about Rick Perry and Ted Cruz <laughs> and Michael McCall. <laughs> so what the heck is going on there? Yeah, my, my colleague Abby Livingston and I reported earlier this week um, that uh, it's so nice. My co- <laughs> oh, maybe maybe the c word was colleague. Yeah. <laughs> Very collegial. We'll never know unless you say it. We will never know. <laughs> uh, so we talked to sources who said that uh, Rick Perry, the, the former governor, has encouraged uh, Congressman Michael McCall to challenge Ted Cruz. Uh, encouraged him over re-election. the summer, right? Or it's a little unclear what exactly when. you know this happened, but it, it has happened, and it has happened to the to the degree that it's caught the attention of people. Um, you know, as we said in the story, it was strong encouragement. Um, you know, Rick Perry in the situation definitely coming off as a fan of McCall for for 2018. Cruise, uh, so right. I mean, that just adds adds more fuel to, to the fire. So. I mean, so what's so what is Rick Perry thinking here? Because you know he he turned around and, and endorsed Cruz for president after Perry mm-hmm. stepped out of the race. Um, I mean, is he mad at him over his failure to endorse Donald Trump at the RNC, even though Cruz has since you know, endorsed? I, you know, my my fingertip feel for all this is that the, the encouragement you know probably came in the wake of Cleveland. And, you know, obviously there were quite a number of Texas Republicans who were upset with Cruz at that point for not endorsing Trump. Um, Cruz ultimately endorses Trump. And now the open question is how much of the political bleeding that Cruz is experiencing has been stemmed? And do people like Rick Perry still believe that Mike McCall should run for, for Senate in 2018? I think the most fascinating part of the story that Abby and I did was when we reached out to the Perry camp for comment, they just issued a one-sentence statement, and they said, you know, Governor Perry holds Representative McCall in the highest esteem. Uh, they didn't they didn't dispute our story. And they didn't uh, praise Cruz. No one, no, one, yeah, right. no one involved has disputed the story as it headed to print, and no one has done so afterward. And right. McCall was, at, was kind of asked about it yesterday on CNN and, and didn't dispute the idea that Perry has, mm-hmm. has given him some support. Let, let me uh, observe just for the historical record that uh, Cruz's spokesperson, Catherine Fraser, used to be Perry's spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, <laughs> awkward. Yeah. Uh, th- this is this has gotten to be a very weird situation and a weird story. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, uh, Perry was, if you remember, the first one mentioned at the headliners, mm-hmm. right? With the audio that we uh, acquired or uh, the Lone Star Project, right? Or, there was a, or yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. we we acquired yeah, yeah. from somebody who themselves uh, acquired it of the fundraiser that Donald Trump did at the headliners, where Donald Trump said something to the effect that he thought it was a good idea, or he encouraged the idea that there would be speculation about Perry running against Cruz. This is post Cruz declining to endorse, but pre Tribune Festival slash day before when Cruz mm-hmm. did finally endorse. You know, the question has been whether the tr- the Trump forces would forgive Cruz, having endorsed later, mm-hmm. better late than never, right? Would they forgive him and back off? And apparently the answer is no, mm-hmm. right? Cruz is going to still, they want to make Cruz pay a price, one assumes for this. Uh, you know, I'd like to know from, I asked McCall last week when we had McCall at the Austin Club, and I'd like to know from Perry, I didn't get a good answer from McCall, what exactly is it, other than the fact that Cruz did not endorse Donald Trump at the convention, what is it that you disagree with? I think Are there just, issues? I, I think it's a personality. You know, McCall said, well, Cruz has like been running him. for president from day one. Yeah, like ambition is all of a sudden right. a thing in politics. Right. If, I mean, if you right? look Come at on. Cruz and Cornyn don't actually disagree on a lot of policy issues, but the way they've approached being a senator and working in the it's Senate are right. night and day. This is about And I think a lot of these people saying, I like Cornyn's approach better than Cruz. Cruz apparently needs to hug it out with more people than Cornyn. You know, he yeah. he hasn't got the relationships with some of the Texas people that you would have thought yeah. would have related him. I was going to say, this whole conversation goes back to what we've mentioned in, I think, multiple TripCasts previously, which is how much of this angst, 2018-related angst toward Cruz is really about the Trump endorsement, or is it really about people who never liked Ted Cruz in the first exactly. place and are just using this as an opening to build that momentum? So, so, so the, here's, here, Patrick, is the political question I want to ask you. So nobody's going to get to the right of Ted Cruz. There is no room yeah. between Ted Cruz and the rightmost wall in any room that you're in. So what does McCall do to run against him? Does he have to run to his left? And can you win a Republican primary in Texas these days if you run from Yeah, I mean, that's his challenge. That's absolutely McCall's challenge. Yeah. And remember that the Tyler Tea Party, you were at the Tyler Tea Party, were you not, the night yeah. before the Tribute mm-hmm. Festival. Joanne Fleming said, I'm going to paraphrase now, yeah. but effectively it was this. Why would we trade an A-rated conservative right. for an F-rated conservative? She wannabe. Actually, wannabe. Wannabe. Yeah. She right. graded Mike McCall. Yeah. An F, and that speaks so perfectly to it because that's what they principles. care about. Where where are you on the spectrum? Exactly. So the question yeah. will be: the question will be: Do the Tea Party groups in this state, which love Cruz and and, and apparently do not love McCall and others like McCall, mm-hmm. will they have enough power to ultimately affect the outcome of a base turnout primary? If this was if McCall runs against yes, Cruz. I think so. And then of course the other part of this is that Joaquin Castro said this week when he was in town to campaign for Hillary Clinton in Austin or somewhere else, that he was talking about making a decision about whether to run as a Democrat sometime mm-hmm. by the early part of next year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he hasn't really adjusted his timeline. He got a little more specific in an interview in Dallas. He said that uh, he's going to make up his mind, hopefully, by the end of next spring, by which spring. makes sense. So so we could be looking at a, an interesting cycle for us, you know, oh, certainly. compared to other cycles. Yep. We could be looking at an interesting cycle. Lately, they all Cruz, seem pretty And there's a Miller. Well, <laughs> yep. you know, I'm doubtful about whether there's going to be a competitive race for governor, lieutenant governor. Unless the Democrats present me with some magical mm-hmm. candidate, I mean, I suppose they could decide if if the Trump margin in Texas is a single mid single digits, they may misread that to be trend, not Trump, well, and they yep. may decide that they have a chance in 2018 and all of a sudden kick out the jams and field a really competitive ticket. But they could also very easily not. 
Well, let's talk about turnout for a couple minutes. Uh, we have some new early voting numbers. The numbers uh, show so far that we've exceeded totals for all early voting in either 2008 or 2012 in many Texas counties. Does the latest sort of, uh, I guess it's no longer an October surprise, but do, how do the Hillary Clinton emails play into all of this in Texas? Do you think it moves the needle at all, this sort of lingering investigation? You know, it doesn't look like there's going to be any sort of resolution or wrap up ahead of Election Day. I think, it, you know, it kind of helps bring Republicans home, remind them at the end here why they don't like Hillary Clinton. Um, you mentioned the John Cornyn thing. One other thing that he talked about was, uh, you know, the, the, his, his hopefulness that this is bringing the choice into the clearest contrast yet in the home in the home stretch here. And he's someone who has not been, uh, you know, when he speaks about Trump, you know, it's not always enthusiastically. But he, t speaking with reporters this morning and talking about the email situation and its impact on the race, he seemed in a pretty good mood. So, I mean, I think the, the biggest impact in Texas will remind Republicans who may have been on the fence about why they can't uh, do anything to, uh, you know, enable Hillary Clinton and they have to support Trump. And there's a contingent of Republicans in Texas, and frankly, most states, that hate Trump and we're just kind of dreading having to vote for Hillary Clinton, but we're going to do it. And this might be the type of thing where they just decide, I'm just not going to vote for her. I'll vote third party. I'll write in someone. I'll just skip the race. But right. I'm just not going to vote for her. You, you know, the interesting, I thought so interesting last night that George P. Bush was uh, – Will Weissert of the uh, AP was yep. uh, had a story about uh, George P. Bush, who is, the, of course, the chairman of the victory effort for the Republicans yep. in Texas and who – despite the fact that uh, Donald Trump slagged his father for the better part of months in the Republican primary, said earlier this year, He's I'm going to support Trump him. because I'm a loyal Republican. Um, he said He's to the one Will with the Weiser, big political future to think about. Well, he's thinking about <laughs> right. it, right. He said to Will Weissert last night something to the effect of there's a question as to whether he actually said what he really meant or just implied it, mm -hmm. that he thought that both George W. Bush, his uncle, and George H. W. Bush, his grandfather, neither of whom has had any interest in Trump so far, might actually end up voting for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it seemed a little more wishy-washy than that. Like, you know, uh, maybe I, they'd vote, you know. Well, you know that there's already been one story that well, you know, H.W. Bush had told Kathleen yeah, I mean, Kennedy. I think it got so much attention last all night because people in the already were are, suspecting yeah. that maybe Bush 41 and Bush 43 were going to vote that way. What's yeah. amazing is we've gone from Barbara Bush saying about Hillary, uh, about, uh, pardon me, um, she uh, uh, would not support Donald Trump. Then yeah. you had the younger right. younger Barbara Bush and Jenna. Yeah, they would not uh, express any support for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Jeb is obviously not support. I mean, it seems to me clear that Jeb is not voting for Donald Trump, right? I think that's. I mean, you end you end true. up with a case yeah. where George P. Oh. may be the only one in the family. Maybe Billy Bush. <laughs> oh, right. Little hug for the bushy. Right. right. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, just re-upping. Uh, well, there's one more question here from Anthony. Uh, with early voting shattering records, could that increased turnout have an effect that the polls are not capturing? I don't think so necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, polling is kind of winding down now. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a lot more polling in the field in Texas if there hasn't been already. Um, you know, I mean, the question is, and we don't know for sure, is, you know, who is this – this massive uh, early voting favoring. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen big increases Depends in both the county, Republican right? yeah. and Democratic counties. We've seen some analysis um, from Republican consultants who say that it's slightly favoring people with past Republican primary voting history, but we don't know for sure. Um, it's obviously a good thing for democracy. You know, Harris but... County being way up, Dallas County being way up, those are not likely Romney, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, Trump votes. Mm -hmm. You know, as we've said many times, maybe sitting here in the podcast, but out in the world, Romney came within a 1,000 votes of beating Obama in Harris County mm -hmm. last time. And Abbott 
beat Dwayne Davis in Harris County. Right. On the other hand, the polls in Harris County pre-Comey had Hillary Clinton anywhere from 7 to 10 percent up over yeah. uh, over Trump. Um, it's good news for the Democrats in big cities if the turnout is up because those are most likely, more likely mm. to be Democratic yeah. votes mm. than I mean, not. yeah, you could— the people who should be concerned are the down ballot Republicans in close mm -hmm. districts in those mm -hmm. cities. That's really yeah. the, the, the only place this has an impact. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you want to catch us next week, we will be live from the Austin Club doing our post-election. We'll be very tired. It'll be uh, Wednesday morning between 8 and 9 a.m., morning after the election. Rough, bad planning, Evan. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already been up for hours. Uh, yep. Uh, thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. And on behalf of Evan, Amon, Patrick, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. <laughs> to do a dramatic reading of all synonyms for hoo-ha. Oh, Christ.